Toot toot moon. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to ask Dave if you would mind to put the Lord's Prayer back up for a moment. I wasn't aware that we were going to see that in the service this morning, but as soon as I um, saw it come up, I just, it was almost like a TV screen in my mind, and I was envisioning that I was in Haiti, and we were praying the very same prayer. Would you like to pray as if we were in Haiti? A couple of you might. The rest of you will just have to be gracious to those of us who do want to hear it. And this is how it goes. Papa nu nanciela, nu mandi puyo toujours respecte non ou, vin tablier gouvernement ou puyo feli volonté sous la tête incuyové li nanciela. Mangez nous besoin en, ba nous li jodia. Pardonnez tous sans nous fait qui mal, même j'en nous pardonnez moun qui fait nous mal. Pas quitter nous non position pour nous tomber non tentation. Mais délivrez-nous non Satan, parce que c'est pour tout autorité, tout pouvoir, depuis tout temps, depuis tout temps. Amen and amen. Could you follow it at all? A little bit, a little bit. As you can tell, Haitian Creole has um, somewhat of a French base to it, but it also is mixed with um, Western, uh, sorry, um, yes, Western African dialect. And they kind of mess together. And I remember when we first moved to Haiti about seven years ago, heading into seven years ago, um, it almost sounded like babbling to me. Um, but it's getting a little easier after all these years. And so aren't we glad that we are part of the family of God and we pray that same prayer in many tongues and many languages? Well, I'm not here to, to speak or preach on um, the Lord's Prayer, but um, I want us to be able to kind of switch gears now. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And it's such an honor to be able to be with you today. I really am sincere. I'm a straight shooter for those of you who do know me. I just, I just shoot it straight. I'm just too old, too tired, and been through too much to be anything but a straight shooter. And the truth is, I really do sense the presence of the Lord in this place in a very strong way. He loves you. You're his precious children. And to be able to be with you on this first Sunday of the new year, of the new decade, is a profound honor and privilege, and I really do believe it's a divine appointment uh, for us to meet the Lord in this place together. So thank you uh, for having me. Uh, Darren and I were able to have each of our three QC children together for Christmas. This is, was our first Christmas back in Canada as a family since 2011. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to do being back in the cold Canadian winter, um, because prior to being in Haiti, we were suffering for the Lord in Costa Rica. And so um, we haven't done a Christmas winter in a very long time. But um, all things considering, uh, I think I did pretty good. Uh, we spent about four days um, together in our cabin in the woods. Um, it's a little place, a home that we are now calling um, uh, Heaven's Hideaway. We've chosen to call it that. We feel like heaven has given it to us, and it's definitely a hideaway. It's um, in the, if you are familiar with Nova Scotia whatsoever, it's a Martok. You know, you have Wentworth skiing, and you have Martok skiing just outside of Windsor, Nova Scotia. Uh, we're about 20, 30 minutes from the Windsor Church of the Nazarene, so we're back where we started 25 years ago. It's the craziest thing, but that's another sermon. And so uh, we have a little cabin up there, in, literally in the woods, um, in a place called Falls Lake. And uh, so we all gathered there. Our place is so small, our children couldn't stay in the place with us. Um, uh, Corey came back from uh, Illinois with his American girlfriend, most likely going to end up being our daughter-in-law. And so we were a full place. So they uh, rented an Airbnb just two minutes from us. So they were close, but not too close, if you know what I mean. And uh, we enjoyed them that way, and they enjoyed us, I'm sure, uh, better that way. And so we went out in the woods, 
and uh, cut down a Christmas tree. Uh, we end up cutting down the government's Christmas tree, unfortunately. It was not on our land, so I have repented um, of that. Um, but you know, Corey says, hey, Mom, we pay the taxes. It's the people's land. But I'm like, you know, it wasn't our land. So he's like, just like you to be worried about that. We'll duct tape it back. Um, so we had this little Christmas tree, and uh, we were able to, to decorate it. And it was, again, um, an experience that was you know, very um, unusual because I'm unpacking Christmas ornaments that I haven't seen um, for years. And so here we are putting these Christmas um, decorations on the stolen tree as far back as 1991 and um, the next morning the kids came over and we opened our presents and because of our financial situation we well I didn't but the kids and Darren decided that we would do this secret Santa thing and we would buy one um, present for one person but now you know I'm a thief but I'm also a liar <laughs> because I lied and I bought more presents than I was supposed to and I just uniquely wrote on the cards trying to hide my tracks and I managed to get a gift for for everybody I mean I'm not going to give one gift to one person when I have three kids and a husband so anyway my boys caught on to my um, deception and they must have got together and decided that they were going to kind of get back at me for it and they wrote and I was so disappointed I remembered on my way here I forgot to grab this to show you but it was a piece of paper they had taken and they had folded it and then in, in, in they had it in the tree, and so at the end of most of the presents being given, they pull it out, and it was a hand-drawn picture of me with glasses on, and um, I think Darren's on there too, and he had glasses on there, and then you opened it up, and it was from Corey and Ryan saying, um, you need to get your eyes checked. <laughs> so um, we're going to pay for you to go get your eyes checked. And I thought, um, and they were kind of like a little bit, like, <laughs> you know, almost like, you need to get your eyes checked, but also you weren't supposed to buy presents for everyone. Um, but the truth is, um, I have been having increasing problems with my eyesight. Um, it seemed to have started after I moved to Haiti, and I was taking malaria pills. Um, I think we were like two, two and a half years taking them. So when you come to Haiti, those who, who come and decide to take malaria pills, they're there for seven days. Well, we were taking them for, for two and a half years, and they were really rough ones. They were extremely difficult on the stomach. Well, at one point in time, I just kept noticing I was having increasing problems with my eyes, and I decided to kind of look up this drug um, because I was t using the Haitian version of um, the medication. What would have cost us $10,000 here for all four of us to have the medication cost us, I think, the equivalent of maybe $10 in the U.S. Uh, sorry, in, in Haiti. And so um, I thought I'd better just kind of check up on this, on this situation, only to read that it damages the eyes. Great. Just what I need. And so um, the boys have been watching this unfold over the years of me having these issues with um, my eyes. But you know, the crazy thing is that Haiti has both helped but also has hindered and harmed my eyesight. And um, how's your eyesight? Not many of you are wearing glasses this morning. But how, how is your eyesight? When was the last time you had your eyes checked? Do you know that you can actually be blind and not know it? You can be blind and not knowing. The, the Lord had his disciple John write a letter to a certain church to give the people there a message on his behalf. And one of the main part, one of the parts of the message of the main message that he sent to the church was this 
you're blind and you don't even know it. You're blind and you don't even know it. Just so you know, I'm, I'm not making up. I'm actually going to read it to you. It's Revelations 3, 14 to 22, and it reads as following. I believe this is the Passion Translation. Write the following messenger of the congregation, Lysodicea. For these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know all that you do. I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you from my mouth. For you claim, I'm rich, I'm getting richer, I don't need a thing. Yet you are clueless that you are miserable, poor, blind, barren, and naked. So I counsel you to purchase gold, perfected by fire, so that you can be truly rich. Purchase a white garment to cover and clothe your shameful Adam nakedness. Purchase eye salve to be placed over your eyes so that you can truly see. All those I dearly love, I unmask and train. So repent and be eager to pursue what is right. Behold, I stand at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice, and you open the door within, I'll come into you and feast with you, and you will feast with me. And to the one who conquers, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is now saying to the churches. Let us pray. Father, we're coming before you again, acknowledging you as Father. Recognizing you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who rules over every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. How we worship you today as our God and as our Father. Lord, we want to listen carefully to what you are saying to us, our families, and to our churches, including Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene. Father, if we are blind, we want to know it. We need to know it. Come and speak your truth into our lives. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are humble and wholeheartedly consecrated to you. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. How can someone be clueless? How can someone be so clueless that they don't even know that they're blind? Well, I know it can happen because it's happened to me. I was in Haiti. We had arrived, oh, probably, I'm estimating within a month of our arrival in Haiti um, back in 2013. And I had been asked to preach in one of the mountain churches in Haiti. And um, I had not 
been in Port-au-Prince yet. We had arrived at the airport, and we pretty much were whisked away to the Nazarene campus, um, 30, 40 minutes, depending on traffic, um, from the airport. And we pretty much stayed in that immediate area, just kind of getting sorted out. For the first two and a half weeks, our two children, we have three, but the two of the three that were with us in Haiti wouldn't even leave, even though they've been to Nicaragua and and Africa and and Panama, and they've been to other countries, but Haiti just is is a place of its own. And so they were kind of locked up and and stun-shocked. And so I hadn't actually been outside of that immediate Petronville area. Petronville area would be like the, um, I'm not sure what it would be here in in Prince Edward Island, but it would be like... um, you know, Bedford out of Halifax. It's kind of the bedroom of the city. It's the, the, the more middle class of what there is in Haiti. And so it's not, it's pretty good. And so this was my first experience going through Port-au-Prince. Because so we've been in port and we've been in the country for a number of years now, and I'll tell you, I'm still not a big fan of Port-au-Prince. I'll just be straight up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. But this was my first experience. And so here we are. We have two Haitians taking us up. Colson, who was our foreman with Work and Witness, and when we have our translator with us, Darren and I in the backseat of the vehicle, and we're going through Port-au-Prince. And I am seeing things that I do not know how to process. I'm seeing animals that are dirty, dead-looking animals everywhere, everywhere, in every state you can imagine. I'm seeing uh, poverty that I can't even begin to comprehend. I'm seeing garbage piles. I mean, everything's walled in Haiti, and here we are along the, the, the edge of the, um, the water, and there's this great big huge um, cement wall, and you can still see the pile of garbage up over this huge wall. I'm sure it's as high as your ceiling here, if not higher, and you can still see the garbage pile of that, and it's all burning, and it's just kilometers after kilometers. After. The smell of Haiti, the, the, the dirt and the dust and naked people and s- children suffering. I mean, I was just, the, uh, by, the traveling was about three hours, but about an hour and a half into this, I was done. I closed my eyes, literally, and I said, God, I cannot see another sight. I cannot, I, ca- I, 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 st- I started, and I am not a, um, I'm not a, a, a typically a, a reactive person in that manner. I'm pretty, pretty even killed in that way. But I was, I was, I was done for. So anyway, we, I went on into the the um, the church. It ended up being a district meeting. They would travel for days on foot to come to these meetings, and the place was packed. And uh, in Haiti, it's usually the pastors and leaders, and certainly the speakers and guests. They line the pulp, they line the platform. Of the, so I'm here, sitting here, and Darren's sitting beside me, and. They have the, the pulpit and there's the generators, the power, city power's going, so there's one little, little, little tiny light, I think, and, or just very little lighting, and behind the pulpit is a uh, cement block. <laughs> and Darren's watching that cement block knowing I'm going to end up standing on this. Um, and so he started to pray for me. I got behind, I stood on the, the block, and the lights went out. And I have to see my notes to know, I, because I'm being very careful that I'm the first time I'm preaching in, in Haiti, I want to be very sure I'm clear on my notes and I can't see a thing. So it was quite an experience, to say the least. I went back home to our place there at the Nazarene campus and work and witness building. And I was basically bedridden for the weekend. I've never had it happen before then, nor since then, where I was basically bedridden. I was so overwhelmed by what I saw, and the thought kept coming to me, I am staying here. I am going to live here with my children. I don't think I can do this. And I had started to have this, this panic, this, this pressure coming upon me and saying, Lord, how am I going to 
How am I going to survive all this poverty and all this horrific pain and all the garbage and the naked people and the dirty animals? How am I going to deal with this? And after about half a day or a day and a half of this panic in the bed, and he came to me and he said, you don't see what I see. The shock of it all was that he didn't see the garbage. He didn't see the nakedness. He didn't, he didn't see the, and smell what I smelled. He saw something totally different. He saw, he saw beautiful people. He saw beautiful people with strength and creativity. And yes, even faith. And he said, Tanya, my child, they're my treasures. Here I'm seeing nakedness, dirt, garbage, poverty, suffering, which was there. I wasn't imagining it. But the Lord says, you're not seeing what I see. I see beautiful treasures. People who are creative and strong and even are people of faith in me. It rocked my world. It shocked me because the shock of all shock was he actually came to me and told me I was the poor one. I was the one that was poor. See, in comparison of the, Her- the Haitians, I thought I was the rich one. I'm coming from Canada. I'm coming from Canada. I have, I have all these things. I have all these, you know, I had a seven-bedroom room, a house. I had 3,500 square feet home. I had acres of land. I, had, I mean, I wasn't rich in comparison to what, you know, many of other people that I lived near or, or, you know, lived in my community, but I was doing a whole lot better than most Haitians. So I thought I was the rich one in comparison to them. But the Lord said, that's not what I see. That, that's, that's not what I see. See, the Haitians, the Haitians are rich in the ways that really matter. They're, they're the ones that have the richness that I was lacking. See, I was the one that was poor, and I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't really, truly perceiving the true state of my eyesight. I was blind, and I didn't even know it. And here I'm thinking, how in heaven's name could the Lord say that I'm visually impaired? How is that possible? See, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a pastor. I'm a, a missionary. I've been involved in missions and NMI at all levels of the Church of the Nazarene for probably close to 17 years. I've been to Africa. I've been to Latin America. I've, I've been to Southeast Asia. I'm a seasoned follower of Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord was saying to me that I was blind and deaf and dumb, by the way. That I was blind and I didn't even know it. I didn't get it. Couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, talk about overload. I mean, I'm thinking I was actively involved in ministry roles and responsibilities. I was busy with my religious activities. I was doing all the right things, or trying to at least to be a good Christian. I practically lived at the church. I gave my tithes. I gave my offerings. I served in positions in the local church, the district, the national, the global church. Listen, I wasn't perfect. I would have told you that, but I thought... I at least had my act together (laughs) and heading in the right direction. But the Lord comes to me and he says, you're clueless. 
you're clueless. Now, I gotta let you know, he, he was gracious. My God is gracious. He's gracious, and he came to me with grace. And he says to me, while I'm having this, this, this state of culture shock, and says, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked, and you think you've got your act together, but you are clueless to the true condition. You do not see as I see. And the truth is, he was right. And here's the thing, guess what, guys? God's always right. <laughs> he is truth. He didn't just speak truth. He is truth. And he was right. He was loving in his rebuke. He was gracious. I didn't feel condemned, but I definitely felt convicted. And I definitely was being corrected. And it was tough stuff to hear, because here's the thing. It was even scary, because his words to me reminded me of what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the realm of heaven's kingdom. It is only those who persist and doing the will of my heavenly Father. On the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many miracles for the sake of your name? But I have to say to them, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to say this, but he says, but I will have to say to them, get away from me, you lawless rebels. I never have been joined to you. What? Reality check? How can it be that I could be so active and so busy in my church roles and responsibilities, so committed to my religious activities and routines and be blind to the truth of my own poverty and the pride of my own heart? How could I be a pastor and a missionary and still be clueless as to what really matters to the Lord? I mean, talk about... A tsunami of truth washing over me. Well, apparently, I'm not the first and I'm not the only one to be in such a pitiful spiritual state. The prophet Isaiah spoke to the people of God in his time. Much of the same message that John was speaking to the people of his time and that the Lord was communicating to me during my missionary meltdown. This is Isaiah 58, and it reads like this. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife with striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice, 
and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So there it is, right in God's word. Like me, the Israelites were seeking, they were serving, but they were not seeing. They were seeking, they were serving, but they were not seeing. They were blind, but didn't even know it. See, they were busy with all this religious activities right there. We just read it. They were fasting. They prayed. They asked God for wisdom and direction. They were, they were, they were I'm sure they had this like religious little checklist that they checked off. Yep, I, I fasted today. Yep, I asked God to come near today. Yep, and check it off and check it off. And yet, and yet it's, God says, uh, is that what I've chosen? They're like, well, listen, we've, we, we've, we've humbled ourselves. Why have you not noticed? We've done what you, you require of us, but they seem genuinely perplexed as to why God didn't seem to notice their efforts. Why have you not noticed, they said. Why have you not noticed? Well, the Lord did notice. He did notice, uh, but he wasn't impressed. See, that's the difference. He noticed but he wasn't impressed. Rather, the Lord said that they were forsaking his commands. They were religious seekers, but were not seeing what really mattered to him. And God looked at all of their religious routines, and he sadly said this, is this what I've chosen? Is this what I've chosen? Wow. Wow. Is this what I've chosen? So what has the Lord chosen? What really matters to him? I'm so grateful to God that he gives that answer. I don't have to guess at this. God answers this very, these very questions by saying his heart. Look at it. If you've got the word there, look at it. It says his heart is for the poor and the oppressed, the hungry and the homeless. The message is clear. There's no guessing. There's no guesswork. Straight up. That's what matters. Him. And so my sincere commitment to all of my religious routines and responsibilities did not mean that I had perfect 2020 vision. No matter how frequently I practice my religious rituals, no matter what role I carried in the church, no matter whether I had all of my theological T's crossed and all my doctrine in the right place, it doesn't matter how loud my worship may be, if I fail to see what really matters to the Lord, and I fail to see people, especially the poor and the oppressed, the way he does, if I am clueless to my own prideful religious attitude, then I am indeed blind. I'm blind. Blind as a bat. So there it was, right in God's word. And I couldn't deny the truth any longer. I was visually impaired. And I couldn't blame the malaria pills. 
I did not see clearly what mattered to the Lord. And I was blinded by my own religious pride and deception. And I was unable to see, truly see, what he saw when he looked at others, especially those that I considered poor and somehow, therefore, beneath me. I didn't, I was, listen guys, I was clueless to this. I didn't know it. It wasn't like I just knew a little bit. I didn't know this. It blew me away. And yet it was truth that I couldn't deny anymore. You know, part of me thought that, you know, part of me thought that the Lord was sending me to Haiti to help the poor. But the truth is that God called me to Haiti because I was the one that was poor. And I needed their help to be able to see it. The Lord had to take me to Haiti, to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, to live among the materially poor, to open my eyes, to show me who was the one that was poor, naked, and blind. It was me. It was me. It was, and it wrecked me, and it still does. It's whole lot, it's not a whole lot. You know when God told me to share this with you, I'm like, oh man, do I really got to do this? Can't I just tell stories about other people? You know, there's a testimony to tell. <laughs> the grace of my God. Now here it gets even worse. I'm embarrassed to tell you guys this morning that God has had to warn me more than once about my lack of 2020 vision. See, I didn't really fully get it that first time around, and I had to learn that lesson and still have to, from time to time, get a, get a, get a, get a kind of a rerun over the lesson again. The next time the Lord dealt with me regarding my poor eyesight, he had to perform like, um, it was like a spiritual shock treatment. <laughs> And uh, it, 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 I mean, it, it was to wake me up out of the reality of what was going on around me. See, the first time he spoke to me as I was heading up into the mountains of Haiti to preach, um, it was more about what was inside of me and seeing what was inside of me that I wasn't seeing, that I was clueless and I was blind to. The next time he came to me with this spiritual shock treatment, it was more about now you need to see what's going on around you. Now that you see more of what's inside of you, now I want to show you what's going on around you and to open my eyes wider to what was happening. Some of you, I, I asked your grace this morning if you heard me tell this story before, but I feel like the Lord would have me share it again, particularly for those who haven't heard this story. We had been in the country for a number of years at this point in time, and we had some new missionaries come in uh, to Haiti from uh, Denmark and Holland, Lars and Fleur. Amazing. They came in with NCM, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, and uh, Lars has two degrees in engineering, um, and so he was coming in and helping with their water project, water um, uh, work that they were doing through NCM, and they were new to the country and uh, didn't have a vehicle, I don't think, at that time, and didn't quite, I mean, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's overwhelming, and so we knew from our own experience coming into the country just how overwhelming it is. And so we, we offered to kind of help mentor them and disciple them and get them kind of settled in, in, um, 
in uh, the, the country. And so this day we were taking Fleur out to kind of show her where she could go to get some little grocery items if she needed to go in a safe envir safer environment. And so here's how um, I survive Haiti. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's quite common with many of us missionaries, Nazarene and non-Nazarene. It's, it's kind of a survival technique I think a lot of us activate. And here's how it works. Haiti is half the size of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia has 940,000 people in it. Haiti has 10.7 million. Okay? So there's people everywhere. That's not to mention the goats, the chickens, the, the garbage. and all, I mean, it's, it, that's all an add-on. And so it is sensory overload, especially for us Canadians from, you know, the Maritimes where we just have open space. <laughs> and so you have to shut down some of those senses. Sight, sound, smell in order to survive. And so I can go into Haiti and I can shut some of those sensories off because if it's on all the time, it's too much. And there's a lot of burnout with these missionaries. They don't last. Six months to 18 months is as long as a missionary lasts. We were congratulated by the Church of the Nazarene after two years for being long-term missionaries in the country. Um, they told us it was a graveyard for missionaries. Before we even went there, that was a great, wonderful sense of calling. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, this is survival. And so here we were heading off to this little grocery store to take our fellow missionary to show her where to go. And I'm in this sensory overload, and so I start shutting down. So it's just peripheral stuff. And as we were went to turn into this behind the security wall, here's the street. It's dirty, dusty. Um, again, there's market, open markets, people coming and going, goats, chickens, motorcycles, dirt, dust. If, I mean, it's all just a going there. And somehow, as Darren went to turn in to go to the past the security wall to park the vehicle in to go into the little store, I noticed it quickly came into my clear vision. There was a, there was a dirty road, the dusty road. There was a vehicle. There was a security wall. And in between the vehicle and the security wall was what appeared to be a man kind of curled up in this really weird kind of fetal-like position. And this, this stuff went like, this was going flash, flash, stoop. Like it, it, everything I'm telling you takes me five minutes to tell you, but it was going like this. It was just flash, flash, fast. And here's the thought. Turned in, something's not right. Turned in thinking, what was strange? Wonder what that's about. Got in behind the wall, and I thought, hmm, I bet you they're hungry. I'll get something to eat. I didn't say anything to Darren, anything to Fleur, but this is what's going on in my head. I'll get something to eat for them. I'll get I think I have something in my purse, which I learned to do to have food in the vehicle or in my purse. I probably should get a drink. And I'm just having this, this little conversation in my head. We go into the store. They do what they do. I go and get the items I was going to get. As we're leaving, Darren had happened to park up against that security wall. They get in the vehicle. I scooted around the wall. And I went down towards this human being and recognized first thing I recognized, that in this bending of their arm, their skin on their arm was the same color as mine. Now, I may, uh, I mean, I, I may look Haitian to you. I tell the Haitians I'm actually Haitian, and I act shocked that I'm white because they're saying, ooh, blanc, you're white. I'm like, no, I'm a Haitian. They're like, how are you Haitian? But I noticed, I thought, that's very strange in this brown skin that there's this, this and I thought, who burned them? Now, what I didn't know then that I now know, because I was so blind and clueless, that was a sign of starvation their skin starts to peel off of them. So that was the first thought. The next thing that happened was a woman crossed the road, a rather tall Haitian. First time it happened, never happened since then. She comes to me and says, with a baby, up on her hip like this, which at the time it struck me, that's weird. I now know why it was weird, because that's not a typical Haitian way of carrying a child. So she came with this child on her hip, 
And she comes to me in English, and she goes into my face, and she goes, Hello. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? I, I'm so surprised so few Christians have actually seen that. But for those of you who have seen it, do you remember the scene where G, uh, Satan with the Antichrist in his arms was going around the cross as Jesus was being crucified? Remember that scene? That's what that was like. Now, I'm not presuming that the, the, the child was demon and the Antichrist or anything, but that was what this hello thing made me feel like. I thought, holy heavens, I don't need to, I don't even know, I don't have a file in my brain to go through to figure what that's about. So I acknowledged her. I went to now what I recognized to be a child, a boy, somewhere around the age of 13, 14. And I said to him, with the food and the water in my hand, Eskugongu, are you hungry? Eskugusuaf, are you thirsty? I have a bottle of water and some food for you. Eskugongu, are you hungry? No movement. So now I have this woman standing over me with this baby on her hand, in her hip. And I'm trying to, in the midst of the sensory overload, try to find perspective as to what I was seeing in front of me. And from my perception, having been a pastor with people who've passed on, this was a child dying. And my brain was trying to figure out, oh, how is this happening? With the vehicles coming and people coming and goats and chickens and there's a child on the street dying. So I'm standing there trying to process this, and up against the wall of, of the, the store, just by the security wall, was, the, was a Haitian, like this, with the gun. And he's watching me. Of course, a white woman on the streets of Haiti is an entertainment. And he's watching me do this. And, I, and he caught my eye, and he said to me, he said, Li Grongu, he's hungry. He's, I know he's hungry, he said. I said, I know he's hungry, but he won't open his eyes. So he comes over like this security guy like this, right? And he goes to the kid and he goes, Ugrongu, are you hungry? Ugrongu, no movement. I thought, oh my word, oh my word, what is going to, what, what do I do? It seemed like forever, it wasn't, but it appeared to be that way. And at one point in time, the child lifted his head with eyes that would not focus. They were open, but they were, they were again, I've, I've seen people pass away. I know that look. Well, you're there, but you're really not. And I said again, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I have something for you to eat and drink. Do you want it? And eventually, he went like this. Never fixed his eyes on me. Just a slight movement of a head. So I gave him what I had. I scooted around the wall. I got back in the vehicle, and the way the security wall is, is you come in this way, here's the wall, you come in this way, you drive around, and you're going to go out this way. And so when we came around, I knew I was going to look down the, between the wall and that vehicle and the road, and I was pretty certain that woman was going to take what I gave to him from him. But as we came around, she just stood over him, and he was taking a drink. But here's what hit me. How can this be? <laughs> in the midst of all of this activity in Haiti, how is it that a 14-year-old boy is dying on the streets and everybody's just walking by, including me? I was just going to drive by. In my little mindset of trying to survive Haiti, well, it rocked my world in a major way. I don't have time to go into the rest of that, but just to say that that, that, was, the, that was the shock treatment. Wake up. <laughs> Wake up. 
You know, here, Dear and I were building buildings, and we are very honored to have had that privilege, let me tell you. I could keep you stories there as well. It was an honor to build buildings, but what help is the building if there's kids dying? And I'm putting, and leading teams that are putting, you know, $60,000 in their trip and team to build a building, and there's children dying on the streets, and everybody's just going about their business, <laughs> including me. Oh, it's like, no, this can't be, something's wrong. And so here we are, probably, oh, months later. There was a number of things that happened in between this boy dying on the streets and this situation I'll tell you about now, but again, I don't have the time to get into it. We were visiting with another Canadian missionary, South Korean Canadian, uh, is that how that works? South Korean Canadian? Uh, she's from South Korea. South Korea. And um, she invited Darren and I over to dinner one night. She had a, a young team come in from Florida led by another South Korean young man who was ministering to prostitutes and drug addicts and what have you on the streets. They were coming to faith, getting radically saved, radically filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were just going out and it was multiplying, multiplying, and they were brought to Haiti and they were gonna pray over her and her ministry and um, the youth that she was, young men and whatever that she was ministering to. And so she invited us over, I'd like you to come over and meet these kids. She said, they're wild and they were wild wild in a good way, but they weren't churched, and so they were just coat and covered and tattoos and piercings, and they were loud, and they were excited, and they were just all this ball of energy with this quiet, reserved South Korean leader, and so we had dinner, and it was just basic talk. Oh, yeah, you're talk. You're from, you're from Canada. Yeah, yeah, just basic stuff. Didn't tell them what we were doing in the country. Didn't, nothing, because these kids were so high energy, you really couldn't have a conversation of any great length. And so they went to leave to go pray over some Haitian young men. And the leader came back, and he said, would it be all right if I pray for you and your husband? Who's going to turn down prayer? And so we went. We sat down side by side sat down, they all gathered around us. The leader began to pray, they began to pray. You know, God bless them, bless their ministry, bless their family, basic general prayer, still great, but basic. And then at one point in time, the Korean leader said, excuse me, I, very gracious, very gentle, he said, I feel like the Lord has something he wants me to say to you. Okay, Darren and I just kind of looked at each other. And then he said, the Lord says to me, that you didn't want to come to Haiti, which was true. I've told that story before. You didn't want to come to Haiti, but your church asked you to go, which was true. But the Lord says, now that you have been in the country, he has opened your eyes to see the real need of Haiti. And he's given you a choice as to whether you'll stay or go. We had not discussed with anybody that we had this sense of calling, that God was calling us to walk away from building buildings to building lives, which meant we would leave everything to do it. And then he said, God bless you, and then they left. And Darren and I were shocked. We were shocked. God has shown you the real need of Haiti. And so here we are now, we have the House of Hope, we have our 14 children, as uh, Edward mentioned earlier. We have now 11 staff, including some work and witness staff, because work and witness has closed down in the country. Um, the missionaries have been pulled out that replaced us. Um, the all staff, except for one staff member, has been laid off. And so by God's grace, we've been able to take at least two of them in um, to come under our ministry and be able to help provide for them. Uh, we also have a feeding program that we're starting because I, I don't want to see another kid die in the streets. 
And do you know something? We can actually feed a child in Haiti on the streets for one US dollar. We can give them meat, we can give them rice, we can give them beans, and we can give them a dessert and a drink for one US dollar. What our plan is, we had planned on starting it until Darren got the cancer, I had to come back, we had to buy all that's been going on in our personal lives and the country in chaos. So what ended up happening, we had to put a pause on it. Um, I'm in right now scheduled to go back into Haiti um, in about a week and a half, two weeks, and I want to get this moving with a young Haitian pastor under his leadership. Um, and our plan is to minister the gospel um, for that one dollar. We'll feed them physically and spiritually and start to minister hope to them because here's the thing, you can find this online yourself. You do not have to take my word for it. Go online and type in starvation children in Haiti and you're gonna find that they're now starving in Haiti. Children are dying in Haiti because of what's happened in the last three to six months has been so devastating in their country that the children, they're dying. They're dying. And we can go in there and feed them for one dollar. I've got to get back there. Yes, Darren is sick. Tomorrow we find out if the treatments are working. We've got all kinds of crazy things going on in our personal lives. But those kids are dying. And I'm now seeing it. I'm now seeing it. And so here we can go back and be able to feed these kids and get them off the streets, minister the love of Christ to them, and get them back into their home. And so see, so Haiti has, has helped and harmed my eyesight. And so let me ask you again as we close off here. Let me ask you again, how is your eyesight? Is it possible that you are blind and don't even know it? You know, I believe the Lord has... Um, I believe the Lord has sent me here this first Sunday of a new decade for a message for Elmsdale. And he has confirmed it numerous times over. And this is the message I believe that he's put on my heart for you. Listen carefully. He wants to enable you in 2020 to have 2020 vision. He wants to enable you in 2020 to have 2020 vision. Deeply desiring to enable each of you to really, truly see what matters to him. To open your eyes to see people through the lens of his love. And he's here this morning to wake up his people to the needs of the least of these that are all around locally and globally. All around. And his mission is to make each of us lovers of God who are radically filled with his compassion for others and are motivated to put that compassion into action. See, here's, to me, one of the differences that we need to make as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not only to have compassion for others, we are commanded to put that compassion into action. And so here I'm in all my religious roles and routines and rituals and would have been sincerely considered very committed to Jesus Christ. But I did not see what really mattered to him. And what really mattered to him wasn't all my routines, not that they were bad, but what really was his heart was the poor, the oppressed, 
the homeless, the helping, the streets on the kids of ha- on the ha- streets of Haiti that are dying, guys. And for one dollar, I can see them fed and see them come to Jesus Christ for one dollar. Is it possible that you're like me? I hope not. I hope not. I pray not. I pray not. God wants to give us his people 2020 vision in 2020. And his mission is to make each of us lovers of God who are radically filled with his compassion and motivated to put that compassion into action. Proverbs 20, verse 12 to 14, the the Passion Translation says this. Lovers of God have been given eyes to see with spiritual discernment and ears to hear from God. If you spend all your time sleeping, you'll grow poor and blind. So wake up, sleepyhead. Don't sleep on the job. See, we got a job to do. We, get, we, get a job. we have a God-given purpose, and his mission for 2020 is for his people to have 2020 vision, seeing the hungry, seeing the hurtless, seeing the homeless, seeing the helpless, seeing the hopeless through the lens of his love and the glasses of his goodness and grace. But guys, if we're not careful, we're going to have these blinders on, and we're going to be just a trucking down the wrong road and missing the needs that are all around us. How sad, scary even, as I've read some of the scriptures earlier that God gave to me. We don't want 2020 to end with hindsight. We don't don't want to sleepwalk our way through another year and not fully be awakened to the needs of others all around us. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If we're not careful, if we fail to take heed to the heart of God, we will spend another year being very busy with religious activities that we don't even notice that we're lukewarm and that we do not have the heart of God moving us to touch the hurts of other people. And I know from personal experience that there are people who feel invisible all around us and they just long to be seen. I, I've had, our, our director, our Haitian director, Kirby, says this, and he's told some of the teams, and maybe even some of you have heard him say this, I'm not sure, but he'll say the teams, he'll say, listen, watch what happens when Pastor Tony gets out of the vehicle. Watch what happens. And, and here I'll walk out, and listen, I, I'm just, an, I am less than ordinary. You, uh, truly, if you knew me, you go like, okay, she is so ordinary, less than ordinary. So it's nothing to do with me, but I'd walk out of the vehicle, and it's like a magnet with these kids, and they say, we see a light around you. That's love, guys. And it's not mine, because I'm too selfish. It's Christ. And I'll tell you, when you start picking up broken kids and you start telling them you matter, God sees you because the Haitian people, especially the children, will not look you in the eye because they just feel that there's just nothing more than trash. And I make them look at me. And I look at them. And I tell them, bon dia, Remeu, God loves you. You matter. Your life matters. But we're, we're just Haitians. We're just street kids. We don't want another year to go by when we don't see what God sees, whether it's here or it's over there. God give us 2020 vision 
in 2020. Because I know from personal experience, there's people who are feeling visible all around us. There's hurting people hitting in plain sight. The Lord wants to point them out to you. And to have you zoom in. Listen, find people to love. There are the least of these in your own community. There are people in your own church who are hurting. They're in your workplace. They're in your school. They're everywhere. They're not just in Haiti. And they're hungry and they're hurting and they feel helpless. And you have the message and the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. So go get them. <laughs> go get them. In Jesus' name, for his glory, for his honor, go get them because that's his heart. The great physician is saying to us this first Sunday of a new year and a new decade, examine your eyes, search your hearts, be warned, be watchful because if we aren't careful, we will allow ourselves to spend another year taken up with the things of the church that we forget about the broken world that are outside of these walls and we will lose our vision for the lost. I don't ever want to hear out of the lips of my Savior, get away from me. I never knew you. But I was a pastor. I was a missionary. I was in the NLI council. I taught Sunday school. I went to this nation. I went to that nation. I built this building. I built that building. And have him say to me, Tanya, I never really knew you. That word know means intimacy. You did not know my heart. I don't want to hear that, and I don't want to hear it for you either. I don't want you to hear that. Today is the day that God wants to do something miraculous in our lives. We gotta go get them in Jesus' name. We gotta go get them. We gotta go get them. We don't want to lose the vision for the lost. Let's tremble in his presence today. And I end with Jeremiah 5, 21 to 22. Announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, you foolish, senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear, should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I am literally trembling before you. <laughs> Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for our spiritual sleepwalking. Please forgive us and free us from growing through life with our eyes half closed to what really matters to you. Heal us from our visual impairment and our inability to see the needs of others who are all around us. Open our eyes to see the people you purposely put on our path each day. And move in our hearts with your compassion that we would become your hands and your feet to a very, very broken world. 
Give us 2020 vision for 2020. That we may see better. That we may better see people as you do. Feeling their pain and their loneliness and their misery and their hopelessness, even desperation. Empower us and equip us to get the job done here in Elmsdale, as well as in places like Haiti. We don't ever want to be standing before your judgment seat. And here you say, get away from me, I never knew you. There was never true intimate relationship with us, marked with a massive, immeasurable love for others, just a religion with its rituals and its responsibilities. I want to be changed. And have your Holy Spirit put your love in me and spread it abroad by your Holy Spirit's presence and power in my life. To be radical for you. To have you as my soul's soul obsession. I just live liquid love. Where there's such the light of Christ in my life that it's not just Haitians who see it. I need your help in this, Lord. And I ask for your mercy. I pray you would have mercy, Lord, and manifest your sanctifying power in our lives this very day. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would seal the message of God in each life today. They would not be able to walk away from this message. They would not be able to walk away from you the same. That they truly would be touched and transformed and take the message of your love into the lives of those that you put on their path. Thank you for the Elmsdale Church of Nazarene. I have friends here. I have people I love and people who have been so unsupportive and so encouraging of me and my family. I love them so much, and I want your best for them. Please bless them in these moments. Grateful for your grace given to us in having this time before you today with one another. As our Haitian family and friends say, bon dieu, li bon tout ton, tout ton bon dieu, li bon. God is good all the time. And all the time he is good. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I sh probably should have confessed to you earlier, but I'll do it now. I am more Haitian than I look. And we do Haitian time <laughs> in Haiti. And so most services are three hours to five hours long. <laughs> with the busiest one being about 5 a.m. lineup only. And so you've had a little bit more taste of Haiti than I intended today, but I thank you for not leaving, and I hope it's something that God um, has placed in your life that you will be able to look back and say you were not the same because you didn't leave and you were willing to hear um, from his servant today. So bon dia, you. God bless you, and bless you indeed. Pastor Sheila, please come and lead us.